Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Let's get on with our first guest of this hour. Dr. Ellen Rasidi is a veterinarian at Jurong Bird Park. Her career in veterinary medicine and recent rescues of different birds has really brought her profession and her own efforts uh, to the fore. We are so happy to have you with us this morning on Money FM. Good morning, Ellen. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. Hey, talk to us about how you became a veterinarian. What what did that look like? Uh, the process, and because uh, you know, it's not a it's not a usual profession for a lot of people. Of course, people are doctors and things. But how did you get involved in it? Um, well, I mean, I think like most vets, I've always liked animals. Yeah, um, that's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a bit tricky if you didn't. <laughs> Early obsessions. So for me, I I have a particular thing about birds and bird behavior like I, th- I just think that birds as opposed to a lot of four-legged creatures are just really fascinating in their the way they live the way they behave hmm. their cognitive abilities like I've got a background in in sort of neuroscience and, and um, cognitive behavior and things like that so for me like the way that birds are it just they're so smart they're so intelligent we haven't even really explored like just what their capabilities are so that sort of led me down the, the bird path and um and so, yeah, years and years and years of studying to be a vet, always wanted to be a bird vet, ended up in Singapore at hmm. um, Asia's biggest bird park. Brilliant. I mean, where else can you? Yes. I'm treat 4,000 birds. <laughs> wow. Brilliant. And before we get into the specifics of the stories that went viral and kind of made you an overnight celebrity, it was fantastic. Um, just tell us about that intellect part, because I'm fascinated in animal behavior, bird behavior generally. But even now, the concept of migratory birds and how they get from one end of the planet to another and do it year after year and never get lost. I mean, my wife and I get lost finding the Hawker Centre. So how, what do we know about that? Where are we out with the science and the, and the research of how they do this? Well, a lot of it's, it's still unclear, still mm. unknown. Hmm. There are, I mean, there are animals out there, not just birds, that we actually don't know where they go for half of their lifetimes, wow. like eels, for example. But birds in particular, I mean, you've got albatrosses who spend, you know, 23 months of the year on the wing, and we assume that they're flying around, but do we really know? Um, we think a lot of this, a lot of the migration is um, is partly innate, and part of it is uh, also them using um, sensors that we're not completely familiar with, and we don't have a, a great um, grasp of. Um, you know, there's birds who uh, follow magnetic, uh, the electromagnetic uh, paths. Um, in the atmosphere, there's birds who clearly use um, visual. Um, uh, visual uh, directions like on the road. Like, I think there was a study several years ago about uh, pigeon, homing pigeons in the UK and they, they thought that they, they were going to be navigating along the, the you know, ley lines or, or magnetic uh, forces of, of the earth. It turns out they were actually just following like the, the major roads. Um, <laughs> so it turns out that some birds are actually like travelling up the A1. Or That's hilarious. Birds who birds who migrate internationally, like there's uh, bird, a lot of birds of prey uh, that come through Singapore on the, the Asian flyway. They come all the way from Australia up to you know, um, you know, they might go to Taiwan or Mongolia or, or Japan, and they're going huge distances. And we think that part of it is is social as well. I mean, we had a, a cinerous vulture who ended up in in Singapore a few months ago that was quite off course. Um, those birds are generally taught by their their parents and and their um, the rest of their species, you know, where to go and, and how to do it. And so mm. these birds who are doing it for the first time may often go go quite off course and, and need some help to get back on track. 
Oh, I've got no. to say, we're speaking with Dr. Ellen Rasidi, veterinarian at Jurong Bird Park. She's already made my day. You know, these exotic birds on the Asian flyways and the British yeah. pigeon just follows the roads. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is so quintessentially <laughs> British, you know. I love it. Oh, that has made my day. I'll be telling everybody that story. Hey, let's, let's get into the big yes. stories that have made the news uh, for Jurong Bird Park. Uh, which one would you like to talk about first? There are, I think, two main ones that, that, that I've seen in the news uh, recently. Uh, take us through number one and number two and what happened. Well, I guess our Sinus Vulture vi- uh, visitor was, was the first big one of the yes. year. Um, I know there were a lot of, lot of memes go, going around mm. uh, that came out of that. But, I mean, he was a very unexpected visitor. I, um, I know a lot of people, uh, particularly on social media, were, were following this story. Um, so do, we do get uh, occasionally we'll get uh, Himalayan griffin vultures um, these are, again, the juveniles who are doing their first migration. They're coming. They generally don't go through Singapore or the adults don't come through Singapore. But like I said, the younger ones may get a little bit off course if they haven't done the migration before. And so they will end up visiting us for you know a few days. Um, this time they were joined by a Cinerous Vulture who was really off course. I mean, he should have been on his way to sort of northern China, Mongolia area. Wow. So for him to turn up in Singapore was, was quite a way off off where he should have been. but um, So he was uh, hanging out with a, a group of juvenile Himalayan griffin vultures. Um, There's a, a lot of pictures of them at the Singapore Botanic Gardens. Um, and unfortunately, he was, he was really quite exhausted. Um, they come here. We, we don't have a lot of food available in Singapore for vultures. Hmm. They're carrion eaters. Um, Singapore is an incredibly clean place, and we make sure that uh, yeah. our, uh, our parks and, uh, and recreational areas, uh, we don't have carrion lying around. So they don't really find much to eat here. So they generally don't stay for very long. It's usually a rest stop for them if they do end up here. Um, but unfortunately, he, he was just at the end of his energy reserves, couldn't take off. Um, I'm sure we've all seen the photos of him mm. uh, on the ground, not being able to, you know, um, get any elevation at all. So he was um, just worn was, out, huh? Just worn out from the trip. Really? Yeah, was. I've seen he, the videos. He's trying he to take off, and he just it just doesn't. Yeah. can't muster the energy to sustain flight. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Those guys, they're so big. I mean, he was he was pushing eight kilos. That's massive for wow. a bird. Um, and they really can't take off from the ground. Um, they, they need to take off from an elevated position so they can sort of jump off and glide down uh. and, and get airborne that way. So him already being on the ground, um, he really didn't have enough energy to get himself up. So um, hmm. uh, M-Parks uh, went into the rescue. Uh, they brought him straight to Jurong Bird Park. Um, we gave him a physical exam. We we couldn't find anything wrong with him other than exhaustion. I mean, we did... We, did the full gamut of blood tests and x-rays and look for injuries. And wow. he, he wasn't injured. He was he was just knackered. And was it the biggest, uh, Ellen, was it the biggest bird you've ever, a wild bird you've ever sort of operated on or worked on? Because, did I read correctly, it's the biggest vulture yeah. in the world or the biggest bird in the world? I know it was one of the... One of the biggest vultures in the world. One yeah. of the biggest vultures in the world. So, yeah. I mean, this must have been a rarity for you, right? And a little bit of pressure because yeah. the world's media... <laughs> I was thinking, please don't die, you know, because everybody's watching now. Everybody's Ellen watching. was probably thinking that too. You must have felt a little bit of pressure, Ellen, a little bit. We can only do our best. Yeah. Do our best. Yeah. Um, yeah. We were very happy that he, he wasn't seriously injured. He, he really just needed some calories and some rest. Yeah. What was, um, what was the wings, What was the wingspan? A couple meters? Two, three meters? Well, we didn't actually measure it, but it was certainly from one side of the treatment room to the other. Yeah, he was he was pretty pretty big. Uh, and do you pretty do big. you um, anesthetize them when you're doing the physical, or what what do you do to keep um, them? We sometimes sedate them a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
with a bird like that who's already in a pretty compromised position, um, if we don't need to anaesthetise, then we don't. Yeah. Um, he he was very well behaved. Um, <laughs> sometimes I find these these guys. Sometimes they just know that you you're trying to help them. <laughs> so yeah. he was sort of like, oh, yep, just check me over, give me some of that, give me some snacks. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, he was really well behaved for us. And then really and then what happened after he was recovered? Uh, so he, we had him at Jerome Bird Park for a few days just to make sure that he got some calories into him. He, um, we provided him with food, emergency care, that sort of that sort of stuff. Made sure he was rehydrated. The first day he came in, he couldn't even stand up. He was that exhausted. Mm. Uh, within 24 hours, he was able to sort of um, get himself up, perch, stand up properly, um, and then we we moved him to um, uh, one of the MPARPS facilities so he'd have a bit more room, mm-hmm. um, just to sort of move around a bit more, make sure make sure he wasn't limping, he didn't have any wing droop, that he was you know physically okay. Yeah. Um, and then we we had uh, three three release attempts. Um, so the first two were sort of flight tests. Um, obviously, a bird that big, we we don't have an aviary in Singapore big enough to flight test a bird of that size. <laughs> so, so we've got to take him out to, out to a field, make sure he can actually, you know, one wing beak for one of those guys is, you know, 50, 50 metres. Wow. So wow. we've got to make sure he can get a few <laughs> The video is awesome. Oh, I mean, it's just awesome, I mean, and a great job you did. I want to briefly get to the second one that you were directly involved with. You've been very busy. Within a couple of weeks, you had we're the changeable. Busy. I'm sure you had the changeable hawk eagle. But this one made news because, if I read it correctly, he came in, uh, or the bird came in with with damaged wings, burnt wings. Is that correct? And you sort of yeah. actually somehow had this feather technology, this feather, which seems extraordinary. Tell us about that. So this is a changeable hawk eagle, uh, an adult who came in. He was found at Jurong Island. Um, now these guys, they they are residents of Singapore. Um, they're gorgeous birds. They're they're our largest forest eagle in Singapore. Um, he he actually came in because he couldn't fly, uh, and we found pretty much all of his feathers had some sort of thermal damage. Hmm. So all, all the feathers around his, his head and, and neck and body, but particularly his flight feathers. So these are the, the big feathers on the wing and on the tail. Um, they look like they've been singed or like burnt burnt off. Hmm. Um, the assumption is that living at Jurong Island, he probably either flew through a gas flare or just some hot oh. gas or, or something like that and didn't see it and just got singed. So he wasn't his skin wasn't badly burnt at all, but um, those like edges of the feathers were just like sort of burnt and, and curled up. So he he couldn't fly. Um, they need every single one of these feathers um, for the aerodynamic ability. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like taking a, a hammer and knocking chunks out of a plane wing. Mm-hmm. You know, the plane's not going to be able to take off. Same same with the, the birds. So we actually we used a technique that's been around for thousands of years: uh, feather imping. Um, mm-hmm. So this is a technique where basically we transplant feathers from a donor bird. So we get we get feathers that are, are perfectly constructed and we actually swap them out. Um, it's like a hair transplant a, or something. It, it really is. It really is. <laughs> Every hairdresser out there is, is, is going to... There might be some men out there that might yeah. be interested in your services if you ever decide to branch out into the human species. <laughs> I think it's a bit harder on people. <laughs> and it doesn't last. That yeah. That is incredible. So you... you you put in the the feathers from and and then what's the recovery period? Uh, is is this bird already uh, back up and flying? Hours? Yeah, so we keep them in for twenty four hours. So what? because we had to replace so many feathers, um, <laughs> I think it was over fifty six, wow. which is the biggest. That's the biggest nipping procedure I've ever done. Yeah. Um, 
And so it was a, it was a pretty long procedure. So we let him recover for 24 hours, and um, and then yeah, we we released released him up at Sungai Bulo. Hmm. And just and he flew right back to Jurong Island. Do you, do you tag them then? Uh, some kind of a tracker on them to. Yeah, so our our colleagues at Mparks um, uh, put a satellite tracker on him, so we know exactly where he's gone and how well he's been flying, yeah. uh, which is really really great to see. I mean, that's that's sort of closing closing the circle on wildlife rehab. You know, you can do all your all you can at, at our end, but unless you know that they're okay afterwards, yeah, you know. And, so. did, and ju- I'm just curious, did you put one on the vu- on the vulture? We didn't. We didn't know, um, but we do know that he's left Singapore. He left Singapore successfully, um, and we. We hope that he's on his way back to where he should be. Brilliant. And just very, just very briefly, I wanted to say that what pleased me with the the stories was how supportive the public were of these mm-hmm. birds. They really wanted the what you know, particularly the vulture to recover. And from your point of view, that must have been so uplifting. It's really, really nice to know that the work we do is supported by the people of Singapore. Um, I mean, this is a, a tiny little island, but it's got so much wildlife. And I, I love it when people get involved and they and they want to know what wildlife is out there and they want to know how to protect it and they and they want to support the institutions that support the wildlife as well. So, um, you know, if you see any wildlife that needs help, call call Acres, call N Parks. Um, if they need to, they'll come to Jurong Bird Park as well. But yeah, it's really nice to know that the public's behind us as well. Brilliant. Fascinating, fascinating discussion. Please do come on again with us uh, next time you have something, uh, some fun stories like these to talk about. Not fun, but interesting stories to Thank talk you. about. And uh, Dr. Ellen Rossidi, a veterinarian at Jurong Bird Park. Uh, appreciate all the work you're doing to keep our feathered friends flying. Thanks, guys. Thank have you. Have day. a great weekend. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.